Hello and welcome to China Dispatches, a European Chamber podcast that shares on-the-ground insights from European business leaders and experts on doing business in China. I'm your host, Esther Cañada Mela. As the world edged towards the end of the 20th century and entered the 21st century, there was a realization that big changes were afoot. The introduction and popularization of digital technologies ushered in the digital age, which in turn created an environment conducive to the development of even more new technologies like smart automation, Internet of Things, and artificial intelligence. As policymakers and companies all over the world strive to harness the potential of digitalization while navigating the risks, what steps have EU policymakers taken to take this revolution in stride, both at home and in the interactions between the EU and different state and political actors like China? In today's episode of China Dispatches, we discuss the EU's policy and strategic approach to digitalization and the digital transition. To provide us with a comprehensive overview of this approach, we have a very special guest, the EU ambassador to China, His Excellency Jorge Toledo. Welcome and thank you very much for joining. Thank you, Esther. I'm delighted to be here. Since this is your first time in the show, could you give us a short introduction of yourself and your professional career up to this point? I'm a Spanish diplomat. Uh, I've been around for 35 years already in this business. Uh, my career can be divided in two, basically, except for a short stint as ambassador of Spain in Senegal. And these two parts are European Union affairs, where I was even minister for Europe or secretary of state for European affairs of the Spanish government from 2016 to 2018, and many other things before that. And uh, Asia, because I was posted in India from 91 to 95, and went to Japan after that, and until last year, I was Spanish ambassador to Japan. So Asia and the European Union are main parts of my career. Now I'm in China, which, as ambassador of the European Union, which perfectly merges my two uh, personalities, the European and the Asian one. Absolutely. Now, digitalization has been on the radar of EU leaders and policymakers since the early 90s, really starting with the publication of two seminal reports that laid the ground for the EU's information technology policies, the 1993 Delors Commission White Paper and the Bangemann Report that same year. But of course, that was a long time ago. Coming closer to the present, when the von der Leyen Commission was inaugurated in 2019, one of its key priorities was t titled A Europe Fit for the Digital Age. What does a Europe fit for the digital age mean for this commission? Well, talking about von der Leyen, the president of the commission, as you know very well, she's coming this week, so I'm very, very excited and I'm very busy with that. I think it's important. The president of the commission comes to China and she will be meeting President Xi and the premier and others for the first time in person uh, in the last three years because of the pandemic, so it's important that she comes, among other things, among other global and EU-China bilateral issues, she will be talking about digital, of course. It's almost redundant to say how much the world has changed since the beginning of her mandate in 2019. We have had the global pandemic, we have had, unfortunately, also the Russian aggression against Ukraine, 
And these two unfortunate events have had uh, significant economic and geopolitical effects. But the two main priorities that identified back in 2019 are still fundamentally relevant. And these are, of course, the green and the digital transition, the twin transitions, as we call them in the European Union. On digital, it's clear that should be Europe's digital decade. The pandemic and the current geopolitical turmoil both show the risks for any major economy to be lagging behind in this key sector. Lagging behind on digital means being too exposed to dependencies in the most advanced parts of the economy. It would mean losing talents, competitiveness, wealth, and ultimately credibility and influence, and we cannot afford that. We really intend to walk the walk on that with very concrete objectives that we want to achieve through a number of instruments and in close cooperation with the EU member states by 2030. For instance, we want all populated areas in Europe covered by 5G by the end of the decade. We also want at least 20% of the global production of cutting-edge and sustainable semiconductors to originate from Europe. We believe that by 2025, Europe will have its first quantum computer. You see that the ambition is there. It is an ambition that is supported by substantial resources too. Consider, for instance, European Chips Act, which is set to mobilize more than 40 billion euros of public investment up to 2030. Consider that 20% of the over 770 billion euros provided by the EU Recovery and Resilience Facility will focus on the digital transition. You already mentioned some of the flagship initiatives that the Commission has undertaken under this banner, Europe Fits for the Digital Age. And of course, when we look at the Commission's approach to digitalization and digital transition, there are two main aspects, the domestic aspect and the external aspect. Let's talk a bit first about what the EU is doing uh, within the single market. Obviously, digitalization, digital transition are very catch-all concepts. Let's pick this up one by one. And let's talk about data first. While the criticality of this asset is undisputed, there are many aspects to the protection, usage, and governance of data that are part of the overall architecture of a sound ecosystem. What is the EU doing in this area? Well, first of all, as we are in China, let me say first that China in the last years has formally designated data as a factor of production, joining land, labor, capital, and technology. This tells a lot about the importance that our host country, China, is giving to data. It is, after all, a massive data producer and clearly aims at excellence in data processing and trade. In the EU as well, we see data as an essential resource for economic growth, competitiveness, for innovation, for job creation, and societal progress in general. We have thus developed a European strategy for data focused on putting people first. What does it mean? What does this mean in practice? Well, it means, first of all, creating a single market for data in Europe where data is handled 
in accordance with European rules and values. And this is critical when we are competing with large and increasingly integrated data markets such as China. You may also know that the Data Act in Europe is being negotiated as we speak. Mm -hmm. And this will make Europe a leader in the data economy by harnessing the potential of the ever-increasing amount of industrial data in order to benefit the European economy and society. On the data protection front, the globally famous acronym GDPR, our data privacy regulation, which entered into force five years ago, remains to date the world's reference point in this field. This role of world reference applies to several EU rules and policies, particularly in digital. This normative power that the EU has is a powerful asset in the EU. I can tell you that our Chinese counterparts are very much aware of that, and they often refer to EU digital legislation as an inspiration for their often very different in objectives and nature, digital rules. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we as European businesses and as the European Chamber have also observed this normative power, really, that the EU has had with legislation like GDPR in our interactions with our Chinese counterparts. So definitely we can also confirm and support your statement. You had mentioned earlier issues like dependencies and you know, national security and uh, the importance of uh, being able to protect our um, data. The rise of digital infrastructure products and networks, I mean, has it has brought opportunities, but as you have mentioned, these new systems also have vulnerabilities that can potentially be the source of security risks for governments and for companies and, of course, individual users. So how is the EU addressing these risks? in their uh, regulation? You're absolutely right. Particularly in the current geopolitical context, we consider cybersecurity among our top priorities in the EU. To respond to the increased exposure of Europe to cyber threats, the so-called NIS-2 directive was adopted last year. This will now cover medium and large entities from more sectors that are critical for the economy and society, including providers of public electronic communication services and digital services. We have also proposed the Cyber Resilience Act, which will bolster cybersecurity rules to ensure more secure hardware and software products. In parallel, we are also extremely attentive to and concerned by the rise of malicious behavior in cyberspace by both state and non-state actors. Malicious cyber activity threatens the integrity, security, and economic competitiveness of the EU. They also represent a risk for the very functioning of our democracies, our freedoms, and our values. I can tell you that we remain very determined to prevent, deter, and respond to continuing and increasing malicious behavior in cyberspace. The digital age and the fourth industrial revolution are powered by new and emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, smart manufacturing, Internet of Things, at the basis of all which 
lace, semiconductors and chips. You've mentioned the CHIPS Act before, but could you elaborate on how the EU is making sure that it keeps a pace with these new technological developments? And then maybe a follow-up question is, you mentioned uh, that one of the EU's goals, the Commission's goals, was to ensure that eventually uh, the whole of Europe had access to 5G infrastructure. How else is the EU, uh, the Commission, making sure that nobody, be it people or companies with less resources, like SMEs, gets left behind? I can tell you that we are conscious of our current challenges and of the need to excel in cutting-edge chips in order to drive our green and digital transformation. And we are using a variety of instruments and providing large investments to get there. Same time, I will take this opportunity to debunk a bit a certain narrative that Europe will be chronically lagging behind on tech, including on chips. This narrative glosses over uh, significant strengths, which I can tell you. The other global players, from the US to Japan, from Korea to China, are very much aware of. For instance, we are very strong in the design of specific semiconductor components, in particular for the automotive and industrial markets. Europe is also very well positioned as a supplier of materials such as gases and substrates, and, as we know very well, as a producer of lithography equipment mm -hmm. needed to produce chips. We also have some of the world's best research centers for microelectronics and semiconductor technology. Now, of course, we need to leverage on these strengths and address our challenges. And our latest moves, including the European Chips Act, shows very clearly that we are taking substantial and prompt action. You also touched on a very important subject, how to ensure that nobody, individuals, companies, get left behind in this digital shift. Among the objectives that we have set for ourselves in this decade, some are specifically targeting SMEs. We are working to ensure that by 2030, more than 90% of SMEs in Europe reach at least a basic level of digital intensity. Other objectives have citizens at their core. For instance, we expect all key public services in Europe to be 100% online by the end of the decade, including access to medical records online, and 80% of citizens should have access to a digital ID. The topic uh, of SMEs is one of the files that I cover, and it is very close to my heart. And for instance, looking at the external aspects of the EU's uh, policy strategy and support for SMEs, there is an EU-funded project implemented by the Chamber and other partners, the USME Center. And of course, through that project, we try to make sure that SMEs are also prepared in terms of understanding what data, the digital environment is in China. Moving into the external aspects 
of the EU's approach to digitalization and digital transition. Some of our listeners may be familiar with a number of initiatives that the EU has undertaken with partners. For instance, the EU-US Trade and Technology Council or its digital partnerships with the likes of Japan, South Korea and Singapore. But looking into EU-China exchanges and interactions on digital in particular, as you know, together with the UN and the US, China has been a third major player trying to shape the future of digitalization, something that particularly in the past few years has been the source of geopolitical tensions. Now, given the complexities of cooperation, competition, and systemic rivalry, in the areas of digital policy making, standard setting, and new technologies. How is the EU approaching this dialogue with China? Well, uh, we all know that China's tech and digital at the very top of its policy agenda. And there is an emphasis on self-reliance that has emerged both from the party congress last year and by the two sessions this year in March. And uh, It primarily points to technology. We have also witnessed a number of new regulations and policies, data security, data privacy, algorithms, artificial intelligence, platforms, online content. That all indicates a will to shape the internet with Chinese characteristics, with a very strong emphasis on public security aspects. In parallel, China is increasingly promoting that vision internationally. You may remember the white paper on internet governance published last year and the announcement of the setup of a China-led international internet body here in Beijing. Rather than favoring a progressive opening of its market for foreign tech, in recent years, China has limited the possibilities for EU tech players to benefit and contribute to its digital growth. In this context, the recent EU-China bilateral developments on digital policy have resulted in our bilateral exchanges on, on digital policy being polite but also very frank. We have numerous meetings with the Chinese authorities. I was, for instance, the first foreign envoy received by the Minister of Industry and Technology, Jin, in his mandate. The bilateral discussions at technical level are also frequent. However, many of the issues at stake are broad and very much political, and they deserve to be tackled at political level. At last year EU-China summit, digital was among the points of discussion. But we're still awaiting information from our Chinese counterparts on the next EU-China high-level dialogue on digital, which was mandated indeed by the last summit. For European companies, as you have mentioned, market access barriers and lack of reciprocity have been big issues, particularly for ICT companies for years. In addition, uh, you've mentioned some of the laws and regulations that China has been rolling out in the past few years, the cybersecurity law, data security law, personal information protection law. Our European companies across the board, not only ICT companies, uh, are grappling with all of these regulations. 
As you know, the European Chamber has been actively approaching the Chinese government with our concerns and recommendations. And of course, we communicate regularly with the EU delegation and the Commission for Alignment. How are these barriers communicated in government-to-government exchanges? Well, as you know, the EU has described China as a partner, especially in global issues like climate change, as a competitor and a systemic rival. We are a competitor in trade and economy, but we want to be a competitor in a level playing field. And in this sense, market access is the name of the game, should be the name of the game, and this should be the year when we make progress in market access in China. We are not happy with the market access we have in China. We have a very open market in uh, Europe, also for digital, and this is not the case in China. Our regulatory and business environment in China for European digital and tech companies has become increasingly difficult. Let's mention, for instance, China's 5G tenders, where our competitive strengths of our companies are not reflected in their results in this market. I can also mention the issue of patent protections for our tech companies in China, where we have been forced to take appropriate measures at the WTO level. We also have an issue with access to Chinese standardization bodies for our tech companies, as well as we have an issue with tender procedures and measures and uh, regulations and practices that limit our companies' possibilities to operate in China. So we are discussing, we are negotiating, we are having dialogues, technical, and we want to have political dialogues with China on all these issues. Chinese data and cybersecurity legislation is another particularly complex aspect. We have seen a number of new laws and policies on data security, data privacy, exports, with serious challenges for compliance by our companies. When the political discourse in this country criticizes the danger of decoupling, these laws sometimes result in a de facto decoupling on data management by foreign companies operating in China. These are forced to create a data system only for China and another one for the global operations. This is decoupling. This is what the Chinese are asking us not to do. The sustainability of this system in any case is highly questionable in the long run. In sum, market openness and fair treatment for tech companies is critical for the viability of Europe's tech business in China. It is also largely in China's interest, given the contribution that European tech business have been giving and continue to give to the growth of the country. For my last question, I want to address the elephant in the room, and that is the US-China relationship. Throughout the end of the Obama, then the Trump, and finally the Biden, administration's geopolitical tensions have very visibly flared between the U.S. and China, and new and emerging uh, technologies are one of the key battlefronts. Now, this increase in tensions between two major global players cannot but 
affect other countries, other actors like the EU. So my question is, where does the EU fall in this standoff? Well, I wouldn't call it an elephant in the room. In any case, uh, there would be two elephants in the room maybe fighting each other. But I would like to say that I rather see three elephants in the room because the EU is certainly one of the elephants in the room. And we are not fighting with either China or the US. We have our own interests. Uh, We are allies of the United States, as everybody knows. We are not necessarily aligned with the United States in everything they do. But the important thing is that there is a big room. Obviously, the US and China are there, but Europe, the third elephant, has a seat at the table. There are sectors where we are lagging behind, but there are sectors where we are leading in the digital world. For instance, chips, machinery, lithography, top-notch academic institutions, startups, talents, leadership on digital regulation, our network of digital partners. So we are a top player on our own merits in the world's digital arena. And it is a fact that European values, interests, and vision on digital and tech vis-a-vis China are in most of the cases aligned with the US. I won't deny that. But the narrative, sometimes pushed forward by the so-called China's wolf warriors, of the coercive status of such an alignment is simply fallacious. It also draws attention away from real EU-China exchanges on the substance on digital tech, on which I would encourage our Chinese counterparts to focus. But let me finish by giving a word of praise to the work that your president, my good friend, Georg Rutke, your members, you, Esther, and the rest of the staff, are doing here at the EU Chamber of Commerce in China. You are keeping the voice of European business heard in conditions that have been seriously bad in the last years, both for our business and particularly during COVID from a personal point of view. Our partnership in the delegation with the Chamber is crucial. It is crucial for making sure we have the right information from the right sources at the right time. It also helps us capitalize on the strength of Team Europe. And this is particularly important on the digital front, given its geopolitical relevance, as well as the technicalities and the complexity of its value chains. That's all for today. Thank you to our guest speaker, Ambassador Toledo. If you like our podcast, please subscribe to China Dispatches. Recommend to your colleagues and friends and share on social media. Also, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can find contact details in the show notes. This is Esther Cañada Mela from China Dispatches. Thanks for listening. 